Okay, church, and you all can turn to Zechariah chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. And Zechariah chapter 4, this uh, text will not be on the screen. We're going through Zechariah verse by verse. We take breaks on family Sundays. Last week was our family Sunday. It's normally the first Sunday of the month, but we were celebrating our church birthday last week, five years old. Praise be to God for what he's done and will continue to do in and through his people. But we're picking back up here in Zechariah chapter 4 on the fifth vision. So if you've been with us, you should have your scripture journal. Uh, If you don't, uh, that is our gift to you. It's in the... uh, right outside to the left in the hallway uh, across from the water fountain. You can grab one of those books. It's a journal with the scripture on one side and a blank page for note-taking on the other side. Write down any notes uh, that stand out to you to help you grow in your faith. Write down your questions. You can send those questions in to newhilloh.com ask to get a biblical response for your question. No question is too silly, too elementary We want to ask those questions so that we can grow in our faith. But we've been going through this, this book for uh, a little over a month, two months now. And we're here in Zechariah 4, and we see this progression. You can go back and you can listen to um, the, the previous messages on our website or on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find us under New Hill Talks. And we've been going through, and you see that, that the prophet Zechariah was raised up by God to call his people back to himself, as, as most of the prophets are. But here, specifically, post-exile from uh, Babylon, We see God's people remaining stagnant in their faith. And we've said time and time again that this isn't one of those books where you're going to get the King David or this noble hero, but rather you're going to get a bunch of, of, uh, no other way to say it, and I'll call myself this, like just just down and low people, right? Like we don't like to think of ourselves as that, but like when we really recognize that, we can relate to that. We're we're low. We're in this low place, and we see that in the early visions, that, that there's this low place where God's people are surrounded by the myrtle trees, which was God's protection and providence and salvation for his people. So these visions, I don't know about you all, but I'm starting to like have dreams, right? And, like, and it's not like dreams where like God's telling me anything new. It's like the enemy's freaking me out with these, these dreams. I'm like, whoa, I'm like seeing like uh, these, these candles and like I'm seeing like weird things and it's like incense just reminds me of like a bunch of like weird trippy movies, right? And I'm like trying to read and progress with it. And what I'm reminded of church is as we move through this, it's, it's important to look at this. So let me say this. We're always gonna have a main point, right? Let that stand out. Some of these symbols and the visions, they may not stand out to you. Now, if you nerd out like the pastors here do, then you're like, oh, sweet, what are the candlesticks? There's seven candlesticks, and, and there's two, two olive trees on the side. What do those represent? But, but make sure you're, you're listening. Those details are important, right? They help drive home and understand what exactly God was having for his people to understand here. And that's what we get here with Zechariah 4. I'd like to read the, the first three verses here and then take a moment to pray before we go any further, but we pick up here in chapter four, the fifth vision, and it says, and the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who was awakened out of his sleep and said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. 
That's the vision for us and the word of the Lord this morning, church. Let's be in an attitude of prayer. Father God, as we come to you this morning, lifting up the name of Jesus and exalting the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would, you would be with us, Father, that you would help us to see the importance of this vision, what you would have and what you had for your people then and what you have for us out of this same vision now. God, I pray that we would seek your spirit. God, I pray that we would rest in the power of you, our almighty God, who now dwells inside of all of his people. May we rest in that truth. May May we rest in that promise. As we go out to live this out, God, that we would be assured that you have gone before us. God, may we, may we humble ourselves and look to the power of the Holy Spirit who works in and through his people. May you sanctify us and make us into your likeness and use us for your purpose May you and you alone, God, receive the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at this vision, what we're going to see is this main point of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's just really just the, the doctrine we're going to talk about here. The Holy Spirit, specifically the power of the Holy Spirit. This is so crucial because if, if we are going to go and live life on mission, one in a humble fashion, but in a, a powerful fashion too, right? Where we're, we're not going out thinking that something could happen. No, we're going out assured that God has not only commissioned us, but church, he's equipped us with the power that Jesus walked this earth with. Jesus' spirit has having been poured out and now dwelling inside of all those who believe, we have that same power. That's why the Bible talks about not quenching the Spirit, right? You can't get rid of the Spirit if you're a believer. It says that if you do not have the Spirit, you are not saved, right? That's the easiest way to put it. It says then you are not actually a child of God if you do not have the Spirit of God. There's no way to get around that. Now maybe you're like trying to like wrap your head around it. If you've repented of your sins and believed in the gospel, you have the Spirit. But if you walk around like, no, 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 don't need that, right? We're approaching like Halloween. It's like spirits and stuff kind of like just scare us. But the Holy Spirit is good. That's the holy God now dwelling inside of his people by his spirit, right? We do not deny the Holy Spirit. Actually, we need to better understand, especially as Baptists, how we ought to look at and view the person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, right? Not part of the Trinity, a person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is in equipping his people, dwelling inside of them, convicting and convincing us, convicting of, us of sin and convincing us of truth. So what I'm going to look at when we're talking about the Holy Spirit and, and the power of the Holy Spirit is that the power of the Holy Spirit is greater than man. Make sure you're taking notes if you're a note taker or you can, you can listen. Greater than man. The power of the Holy Spirit is greater than man. It's greater than our obstacles and it goes with his presence. First off, greater than man. The Holy Spirit's powers is greater than anything that any man or woman could bring to the table. Now, you could be the most spiritual person here in this church, whatever that means, right? Like you, you read the Bible the most, you pray the most, you, you genuinely love the Lord, you do it with the right heart. But all of that is not to be accredited to you or I if we're in those seasons of life. It's to be accredited to who, church? God, God himself, right? And that's, that's so difficult for people to begin to understand. If, if, salva if your salvation is the Lord's work, right? He saves you, he chose you, called you, and is now equipping you, then what part do you play? Obedience, submission, yielding to the Holy Spirit. So if you're a Christian here and you're thinking today, you're like, man, like, I have the Holy Spirit, but I don't know much about him. Stop quenching the Holy Spirit. That is God's presence now with you and forevermore with you. 
And now we have the power, because of his indwelling, to go and live this out. You've got him. You're just holding back. You're not living in submission, yielding to the Spirit. And we've all been there, right? We've all been there. So we saw the first three verses. There's this vision. What we see here says, uh, what do you see? Zechariah's been uh, woken up. And the angel, the man right here says, what do you see? He says, I see and behold a lampstand of all gold with a bowl on top of it, seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. Now, this is my response that I would share uh, with Zechariah. It says, and I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? What is this, right? I see this vision. What, what is this going on? Verse 5, then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? He says, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my what? Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. See, church, you got to understand context here, right? They'd been in captivity by God's judgment to those in Babylon for many, 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 many years. And then God releases them. He frees them from their captives. Some stay and some come back. But they'd come back not to just, hey, you get to go back to your home. No, it's, hey, your home is in shackles and you need to rebuild it. You need to rebuild the temple, the walls, the heart of my people, the Lord says. So they had a purpose to go back. They were to restore this kingdom that had been destroyed. Now, I want to kind of give us a little bit of context, and I just got this straight from gotquestions.com. They're great for basic things like this in history um, of the Bible to give you a quick overview. So this is directly from them, but it says here, In 538 B.C., Zerubbabel, the leader of the tribe of Judah, was part of the wave of Jewish captives, the first wave of Jewish captives to return to Jerusalem, you get that out of Ezra 1, verses 1 and 2. The Persian king appointed Zerubbabel as governor in Judah. You see that in Haggai. And right away, Zerubbabel began rebuilding the temple with the help of Joshua, the high priest. So right away, they get back and they're like on fire, right? It's like a, a revival. You, you go to a revival, you come back and you're telling everybody about Jesus. You're telling your dog about Jesus and just praying that dogs go to heaven, right? That's, we're not going to get into that today, uh, animal lovers. We're not going to talk about that, right? But that's what was happening. Zerubbabel goes back immediately with the help of Joshua, the high priest. They begin rebuilding the temple. It says here, it says, The first temple built by King Solomon had been destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. So their enemy not only took them captive, captive, but destroyed their city, destroyed their temple, had breached their walls. It says it took Zerubbabel two years to rebuild the foundation of the temple. Then construction was delayed by Samaritan settlers whose friendly virtues masked a hidden hostility. As a result of the opposition to the temple, construction, Persia withdrew support for the project, and for 17 years, the temple sat unfinished. Ezra 4, verses, uh, verse 21, you see that. So you see they were sent back by their enemy who had, who had lost control. Persia is now in control of God's people. They're free to go. Persia says, hey, 
we'll support this, right? We see our governments do this now. Hey, go and, go and do what you want. We're going to give you $1 billion, right? You just go set up shop and build, build your new capital, set up, buy some guns, have an army, and we're going to fund this project for you from way over here. That was what was happening here. Persia was letting them go back and rebuild, and they were funding it. But they withdrew their support when they met opposition on the ground. It says here, still from God Questions, it says, Finally, God sent the prophets Haggai and Zechariah to encourage and support Zerubbabel. And the work on the second temple resumed. It took four years later, in 516 BC, the temple was finally completed and dedicated with great fanfare. You read that in Ezra uh, chapter 6, verse 19. Uh, it goes on to say, It's interesting that Zerubbabel was never mentioned in connection with the dedication ceremonies, nor is his name mentioned again after Ezra 5.1. For this reason, Zerubbabel's temple is often referred to simply as the second temple. 17 years unfinished. Ladies, give us men some time to get the job done, right? If we have a house project, we need some time. It took these guys with armies and mass people and, and disobedience to God, of course, but it took them time, 17 years. We need gentle grace and love and, and guidance to, to get these jobs done. 17 years. Church, not only does that feel like defeat because God's temple, God's city, his people were not doing what they were supposed to do, but there's a sense of, of recognition. Like, do you think Zerubbabel noticed that the job was not yet done? He's like, what am I going to do? I'm just a man. What, what am I going to do? What resources do I have? How can I get this job done if I don't have the proper equipment to do it? If I don't have the army to protect us when we begin rebuilding? What is going to happen? How are we going to get this done? And that weight, it, it, it weighs heavy. And a lot of us, we can recognize this in our spiritual growth. We know we need to read our Bible more. It's not a question of if, if a Christian here is going to argue that we're supposed to read our Bible, right? Like this is, this is elementary. The bigs are learning about this today, right? Just just. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. We try and teach them that. Littles, read your Bible. Pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. We teach them that because it's important. The argument here is not, do you recognize that? Because what probably happens if you're like me in a season of not growing is you know that you're not growing. I know that I'm not taking the time to even try to grow. And I lay in bed at night and I'm like, what am I doing? Right? Like, I need to do more. I need to do better. This is the God who saved me. Why am I being disobedient? Now think of that weight that is, is weighing heavy. 17 years. The foundation was laid, and they had to look at that foundation and know nothing's getting done. Nothing. And if we put ourselves in the shoes of Zerubbabel, we can probably bear the same weight of recognition that, how am I going to do that, Right? Because we look to our power and our strength. Heard someone say one time, like, oh, the small church is taking up a, a mission fund, right? Like, small church budget. And it's like, no, God is powerful, right? Like, we rest in that. We rest in the power of God. And we see God use his people to sacrificially give. And he blesses that. And he uses it. And this is the message to Zerubbabel. What happens here? What does it go on to say? It says, no, Lord, I don't know what this is. Verse 6, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, 
nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. But by my spirit. Zerubbabel man considered the hard task ahead. How am I going to face this mountain we're going to get into in a minute with my own strength? I'm but a man. How will I face this task ahead on my own? He knew his inability to complete it. He knew it. He knew he didn't have it. Haggai 2, verse 5 says, According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Why? Because God's spirit was remaining in their midst. The whole point of this vision is to talk about the presence of God within his people. That's where you get the golden lampstand, which should have reminded them of the temple and the presence of God, which would be the burning flames representing the spirit of God, who now dwells with his people. So we now have God's presence at all time. This was important. Fear not. Why? Because they had the presence of God. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Why? Because he's stronger than us. We say he's the almighty, all-powerful God. And in actuality, we don't believe it because in our practice, we begin to doubt and look at the mountain and say, how? Now, I'm not saying the mountain of debt we've collected on our own with bad decisions or how we're going to make this car payment or how we're going to get Skittles to get rid of the toxins that don't allow us to eat them anymore because they're killing people, right? Like, and you all don't know what I'm talking about. That's not a conspiracy, right? Skittles need to fix something because that was my favorite candy, right? I'm not talking about these little mountains. I'm talking about the ones, the spiritual battles that we look at and say, I'm not going to witness to them because it's just a battle that's too hard. I'm not going to speak the gospel truth because they may hate me. I'm not going to tell people what I think about gender. I'm not going to tell people what I think about marriage. I'm just going to let God kind of do what God does. But no, when confronted with it, we should tell people about it. And it doesn't have to come from a place of arrogance or a place of pride or holier than thou, but speaking the truth, knowing that it goes out, God's word goes out and does not return void. It's, see, it's, it's in those moments that we're resting in our weakness. And we're like, I'm just too weak to get this job done. No, recognize your weakness and understand that God uses our weakness to display his power. Acts 1, uh, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. More so now, church, to us in the new covenant, those whom the Spirit has made his dwelling, we should not look to our strengths, for they are nothing. I know it's, it's terrible to talk about, right? Like, imagine, like, doing all the, the, the groundwork all week and, like, realizing how terrible I am and, like, having to, like, relay that, like, Church, we're terrible people, right? Like this, it's not always a fun message to share that we're terrible and we're ill-equipped on our own for this job that God has called us to, but recognizing that in our weakness, he displays his power. Yield to the Spirit, not away from him. God is using his power. See, the Bible is consistent in this. He's chosen the least likely to display his glory. You look at Israel. It says, I chose you not because you were of great number, of strength, because I was going to use you and display my glory according to my purpose. Praise be to God for this. Not only should we not be prideful, church, we have no reason to be prideful. 
Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to go and do great things. Indeed, the Bible says you will go and do great things. But it's because of the power of God in you. Praise be to him for it. Praise be to him. All the good in me is a result of the work of God in my life and my submission to it. See, knowing the power is not our only uh, thing that's going to help us, right? Knowing the power is not um, going to help us look past the mountain we face. We need to understand that, that he's greater in power than us, but he's greater than our obstacles, right? Point number two, greater than our obstacles. You look at this mountain it talks about. And this, this exchange here of, of what's going on, it says, Who are you, in verse 7, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a what? Plain. You'll be flattened. And we don't exactly know what's going on here, what this mountain is, but there were many things to consider when you look at the state of God's people at that time. It could have been uh, political. It could have been personal. It could have been spiritual. Right? It doesn't matter. God's will will be done. God was going to restore Jerusalem. God was going to restore his temple. He was going to have his people rebuild the walls. Everything was going to happen because God's promise is always true. It stands true. And God's people by his choosing will be the hands to get her done. We are being used by God, for God. He has chosen to use us to go out into the world and to share the gospel. God could have chosen any method. He used burning bushes to talk to his people in the Old Testament. But you know what he said to his, his new covenant people? Go into all the nations, teaching them, baptizing them. And I'm with you always until the end of the age. It's paraphrased, right? That's what he said. He's chosen to use us to do these things. So when we go out and we look at these obstacles and think, how will I overcome this? It's not our power. His power is greater. And it's greater than our obstacles. It's greater than any man and any man's power, and it's greater than any obstacle we will ever face. R.C. Sproul says, whether practical, political, or spiritual, we must yield to the all-surpassing power of God. He says, nothing can stand in the way of God's purpose to restore his presence in the midst of his people, end quote. That part is so important. Nothing will stop God's purpose to restore his presence in the midst of his people. Church, not only that, not only was he doing it then, nothing was going to stop at Pentecost, the outpouring of his spirit to dwell inside of his people until he returns, right? Until for all time, for all of eternity, and nothing's going to stop him coming back to dwell literally in our presence and our new glorified bodies that day when we see no more corruption of sin. Nothing will stop that. Nothing will thwart the will of God. Nothing gets in the way of God, not our weakness and not our obstacle. Isaiah 40 verse four says, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Imagine just like being able to overcome all of our problems. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? Just like, just all the problems are gone. We just, when we look at that and think about that, what we want to do is remove those problems, right? Like, if there's a problem in my life, just remove it. Like, don't deal with it. 
I come uh, from a, a house where I, I tease my dad now, so please just be easy on me. This is me and my dad. My dad's been divorced five times, and he's been with this woman for uh, 10 years. She's my stepmom. I call her my stepmom. That's why it's always weird when I'm, like, trying to explain to people. Uh, like, it's my stepmom, and my dad, like, won't remarry again. Well, why not? It's you know, he's been divorced five times, and I tell him, like, Dad, like, you've got to, like, start to work on problems, right? Like, you can't just, like, because what happens when I give you a problem, Dad? You're going to... Like, no, like, you, dad, you don't give me the boot, right? So I'm, like, trying to work on it. I'm like, hey, before things go south, right, let's just make sure we're working on problems. And you are like, oh, this is serious. And it's, it's not, right? Like, me and my dad are, are good, and I don't have a conversation with him often about how he needs to work on problems. But we need to. We don't need to be the, the, the fast travel people. Like, let's just remove this situation. Or if we could only get to this point in our life, then everything will be good. No, it won't. And in this life, let me tell you, the, the, the transgender argument will eventually be behind us, and it'll probably be something that's just accepted, not by the church, but by the world, and we're just going to have to eat that one too. Guess what? We can just, 20 years down the road, can we just get past this, this transgender thing? There's going to be something else. It's not going to stop. The world's going to continue to throw curveballs at us and say, hey, well, you, the church, you just need to accept these things. And guess what, church? We need to be there and say, that's not what this says. And that's a clear obstacle for us right now. Why do we talk about it so much? Because it's there, right? There are obstacles in our face. And those obstacles are trying to keep us from, from being the kingdom here on earth as we've been called to do. These obstacles were keeping them from rebuilding the kingdom that God had called them to rebuild so that he could dwell in their midst, be in their presence. That's where his presence was, was within the temple. But with us the holy triune God by his spirit is now dwelling inside of us. We can pray at all times. Lift up whatever requests we have. We can go and in the name of Jesus cast out demons. How amazing. How amazing is God. Don't try to remove the problem. Church, we need to deal with the problem. Understanding that, that God says here that mountain will be flattened. Church, truth will come to light. Darkness seems to prevail in this world, but we are to go and to be the light in the dark. We are to stand up against that obstacle, not cower. Remember why? Because God's power, the power of the Holy Spirit, is greater than any man's. And he's greater than any obstacle. Anything that you can think of right now, we could sit here and talk about how the Holy Spirit can and will overcome that. You may feel defeated and deflated in that moment. You may feel deflated for a year after a terrible conversation with somebody sharing the gospel or speaking truth. Some of you have lost loved ones, family members who want nothing to do with you because you spoke the truth. Now, if you spoke it arrogantly, repent. But if you spoke it boldly and stood and said, I love you, but I'm not backing down from this, and they rejected you, remember, they did that because they rejected Jesus. They hate you because they hate him. We do not waver on this. It is the power of God working in and through us. It's not our power. And God's power is greater than anything that can be thrown our way. We're not to sit and watch. We don't just sit and watch. So that's the thing. We have to be active, right? 
Zerubbabel couldn't be like, well, God's faithful to just build this temple and he's, he's power, powerful and he's greater than any other obstacle, so I can just sit here and watch. No, the application to this point is not to sit and watch. It's to actively work against the obstacle by the power of the Spirit. And one day we may look back and be in awe of how the Holy Spirit used your obedience to conquer what is now behind so that we can grow in our faith. That one day we can look back and be like, how great is God? How wonderful, looking back, that he used me in that moment to display his glory. Praise be to God. And remember, church, he goes with his presence. Point number three. The power of the Holy Spirit goes with his presence, right? Like, non-believers don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit is not working in and through them. It's work, he's working all through creation to work out the Father's will, right? We understand that. But the power is within his people who he now dwells within. For the Old Testament, the Old Covenant people, God had not made his dwelling in them. He was among them. He was in their midst many times, leading his people, using leaders, temporarily indwelling people to lead them and guide them, filling them. So this rebuild to them was so crucial so that they could have a place of his presence and outpouring. This was special. Look here. Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also, what? Complete it. So not only did Zerubbabel get to see the foundation laid, he would later complete it. We talked about it earlier. You can read it in uh, Ezra. It says, Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. You see the power of God actively at work. And what they were dealing with when it says the day of small things is just like the little things that become like irrelevant to us. Like, think about in our own life how bitter we've become, like, because of the world around us. That, like, when Maylee now, she finds a penny, and I'm like, was it heads or tails? She's like, what do you mean I found a penny, Dad? It's like, good luck. And I'm like, has to be on heads. What was it? She's like, it's tails. And I should just be excited for her because she found a penny, and I'm sucking the joy out of this six-year-old's life. And I'm like, who cares about the penny, Maylee? It wasn't on heads. There's no good luck. This life is terrible, right? And they'd become so bitter that you can read after the exile that they weren't looking to, to God's presence in their midst. They weren't looking to the small things. See, we ought to look back at the work of God and praise him in the big things and in the small things. Praise be to God for the, the sidewalk. You are like, what's that supposed to be? Because people are going to be able to fellowship out there. I don't know. It seems like a good thing to praise God about, right? Well, money was spent. Yeah, but money came in. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's a great place that kids are going to be able to run and not be in any harm's way, right? Like, they're probably going to scrape knees and stuff, but it's the small things, right? We get to see that, that wound heal. We get to praise God because he heals bodies. And one day he's going to restore ours. It's the little things. But this was so special to them. This was a big thing. It says, for whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice when they see this, right? And shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range through the whole world. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and left of the lampstand? 
And a second time I answered and said to him, What are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. You look at these, these two branches, and there's a few theories out there, right, of like what these are. The, we'll get to the main point because the main point remains the same, but we don't just want to skip over these, uh, these parts, right? So let me go over those. Some people believe it's the New Testament, Old Testament, two things uh, pouring in, and, and that being what, what pours out the Spirit of God. So if you look at a picture, you can Google it. I should have thrown it up. Um, the, the branches, these two olive trees, are the source, right? So they're pouring in to the, to the lampstand, which is fueling the flame so that the, the presence of God is the stand, and then the flame is the Spirit. So these branches are important because they're what's supplying the presence of God. So some people believe it's New Testament, Old Testament coming together. Some people believe it's uh, Israel and the church pouring in, and that supplies the presence of God. Uh, some people, this is a popular one, is uh, Zerubbabel, who was the king, and Joshua the priest, because we see priest, prophet, and king, three offices. See, some of you all might be nerding out. I think this is really cool. Um, hopefully you are. Tell me if you are later. Um, if you're not, then uh, we'll see you again next week. Uh, so, again, Zerubbabel, king, Joshua, priest, those two could be fueling it. Um, number three, the one that I uh, would lean toward is Haggai and Zechariah. Because the two branches are fueling the entire outpouring of God's presence in this imagery, right, which was important, they needed to rebuild the temple. Prophets, specifically Haggai and Zechariah, who were closely related to the rebuilding of the temple, I believe it's them, because that's what prophets did. They heard from God. They were close to God, and they were to relay that which God told them. Regardless of the theory you hold, there's some important significance that all parties would agree on. One, the presence of God is crucial for all of God's people, right? Ben, you can go ahead and come back up, by the way. The presence of God is crucial for all of God's people. I said it earlier, if you do not have the Spirit of God, you are not saved, right? Again, like if that sparks confusion, have you repented and believed? Yes. Guess what? You have the Spirit, right? Now, if you deny the Spirit, that means you don't, right? If you're just confused about it, it's different. There's a lot of confusion, things that if you've never heard, how do you say with assurance, I believe that? Right? The presence of God is crucial for all of God's people, both in the Old Testament and New Testament. They needed to rebuild the temple for the presence of God. Zerubbabel, number two, was a type of Christ, the one who was to come. Zerubbabel established the temple. Christ himself establishes his temple. He says, knock it down and I will raise it in three days. Number three, Christ is our perfect priest, prophet, and king. This is so important because in the Old Testament, we had three offices that we saw, priest, prophet, and king. No one had all three of them, right? We had prophets, we had priests, and we had kings. Kings led the way. They executed, right? Priests were intercessors for God's people, and prophets were those who spoke to God and heard from God and spoke to God's people on behalf of God to call them back to himself. Now, the beauty here, church, is when we look at this imagery of the two branches flowing in to this, this stand and then the flame coming up, it deals with the presence of God. But now, church, we don't need the temple. We've been made a temple. 
God is now dwelling inside of us. So guess what? Where he goes, his power goes. And guess what? He's in each and every person who believes. So wherever you go, speak boldly with power, with whatever obstacle that lies ahead of you. And I'm not trying to get into all the prosperity gospel and just speak the name of Jesus against it. You may get slapped across the face and rejected. It's not fun. But we do it in the name of Jesus. And we know that when we speak the word, it doesn't return void. Christ now dwells in us richly, church, by his spirit, whom we now have unlimited and ultimate access to, the holy God, because he has made us his dwelling. See, they were looking to the temple and to the rebuilding of the temple, and now we've been made a temple. Now, we collectively, the church, we gather on the Lord's Day to praise him. The pastors uh, sit up here to proclaim God's word over us and to us, each and every one of us, even ourselves, and to equip us for the work of ministry so that when we go out, we rest not in our power. We rest in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that the power of the Holy Spirit is greater than man, greater than our obstacles, and goes with his presence. Don't quench the Spirit. So this week, when you're faced with whatever obstacle it is, your kid's coming home from school and telling you things that they've, they've seen, you're going to work and you're dealing with um, the, the troubles of life, whether it be uh, political or whether it just be the stresses of work that are weighing down on you and it's just like so aggravating. Or when, when you're at work and someone's rejecting the truth which you believe, that you wouldn't be like Zerubbabel and look at the foundation and say, I, I laid a foundation, and I'm just not equipped to do the rest. May you remember in those moments the power of God that now dwells inside of you. Speak boldly with grace and with mercy the truth of God. And as we do that, church, God is saving people. Amen? He's using you to display his glory. People know we're weak, right? I mean, the, the world calls us hypocrites. We don't have to explain how weak we are. They, they get it, right? But how about we show them the goodness and the power of God that now dwells inside of us? Instead of saying, yeah, I'm, I'm a hypocrite, why don't we say, Jesus is good. Jesus saves. Jesus sanctifies. So the bad that you once saw in me, I repent of. And let me be more like Jesus. most loving thing we can do, church, is stand on truth. Face that obstacle and give glory to God. Church, go ahead and stand. We're going to sing uh, one last song. We're going to talk about uh, the, the blessing of God. And church, praise be to God that he's using broken vessels like us. Praise be to him. Can we do that this week? Can we face this challenge? You know, we talked about last week with our church birthdays. Just how's our pulse, our spiritual pulse? Are we, are we doing well? Are we growing? Are we reading the word and learning from it? Are we going out and teaching him? This is where the rubber meets the road. The presence of God now dwells inside of you by his spirit. You have the power not only to speak, but to go and to do. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you don't know the spirit, I get that. The Bible says repent of your sins and believe in the gospel. That Jesus died on the cross and the Father raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Repentance, that means turning away from forsaking our sin and clinging to the cross of Christ our Savior. Do that this morning where you are. Let us know and we'll celebrate with you. But that's the power of God to save and to sanctify his people. And one day he's coming back.
and he will dwell with us forever. Father God, thank you for this morning that we've had together to look at yet another vision. And God, I pray that we'd be reminded of the importance of your presence. God, where you go, there your power is. Where you go, there your people are. May we use that power and recognize that power, not of our own, but of you. God, as we go, may we speak boldly. As we go, may we yield to your spirit and forsake our sins. May we humble ourselves. Father, we love you. We praise you and just ask that you just continue to work in and through our life. To those who are missing, God, that they would be reminded of this truth also. God, to those who we haven't met yet, God, that you would go before us by the power of your spirit and guide the way, facilitate those discussions. May the name of Jesus be exalted, people be saved, and your people be sanctified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.